Hello, we are going over the core doctrine of sin. And the verses for this is Joshua 7, 20 through 23. We will go ahead and read that real quick. It says, Achan replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord and the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them and hid them in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. So the author writes here that when many of us look at the world and consider what's wrong with it, while there is so much injustice and cruelty, we give reason outside of ourselves. That is, we don't think that we are the culprits. But the biblical view of sin suggests otherwise. The Bible and historic Christians teachings say that sin at its core is rebellion against God. And this rebellion arises from an inward human disposition of disbelief and pride. That is what happened in the Garden of Eden, and that is what is still happening today. So in many ways, sin is selfishness. When we sin, we prioritize ourselves and our desires above God and others. The result of sin is alienation from God, our Creator. Not only that, but sin also confuses our sense of identity and purpose. This alienation leads to experiences of profound isolation and loneliness. Humans were created in God's image, capable of giving and receiving divine love. But sin has disrupted our capacity to truly love God and others. Instead of being motivated to love and serve God in all things, recognizing that He alone is Lord, we strive to be served rather to serve. Over time, this self-serving motivation dehumanizes not only ourselves, but also others. We treat other people as instruments to be used for our own personal gain and satisfaction, not as a fellow image bearer who deserves love and decency and equality. Jonathan Edwards discusses the horrific sorry, and corrosive nature of sin in his book, Charity and Its Fruits. Edward acknowledges that God created us exalted and noble and generous, but as a result of the fall, sin has made us debase, ignoble, and selfish. The reason Edwards explains is we succumb to the power of government of self-love. He continues saying that sin, like some powerful astringent, can attracted his soul to the very small uh, dimensions of selfishness. And God was forsaken, a fellow creatures and fellow creatures forsaken. And man retired within himself and became totally governed by narrow and selfish principles and feelings. Self-love became absolute masters of our soul. And the more noble and spiritual principles of his being took wings and flew away. As a result of our flying away, not only are we morally corrupt, 
the enlargedness of our soul is utterly gone. We care for neither God nor others. Long ago, we shrank from primitive greatness and expandedness to an exceeding smallness and contractedness. But that's not the end of the story, says Edwards. God, in his unfathomable mercy, chose to redeem sinful humanity. Even though we desired not to turn to him, he turned to us. And by doing so, he began the work of reversing the effects of sin. But God, in his mercy to miserable man, entered on the work of redemption, and by the glorious gospel of his sin began the work of bringing the soul of man out of its confinement and contractedness and back again to those noble and divine principles by which it was animated and governed at first. And it is through the cross of Christ that he is doing this, for our union with Christ gives us participation in his nature. And so Christianity restores an excellent enlargement and extensiveness and liberality to the soul and again possesses it with the divine love or charity whereby it again embraces its fellow creatures and it's devoted to and swallowed up in the creator. What's the reason why things have gone awry in the world? Well, sin. And that's why work is often frustrating. That's why our relationships at work and our activities are imperfect and sometimes incredibly difficult. Sin is the reason we experience tension with others, why we turn selfishly inward rather than graciously outward. We were made to serve God and love others, but sin leads us to seek to be served for our own twisted selfish reasons. Are you being sinned against at work? How does this dehumanize you? Or how might your sinning against others dehumanize them? Sin is the reason we experience tension with others, why we turn selfishly inward rather than graciously outward. I know, for me, I've definitely experienced that where uh, when I feel like I've been sinned against, I would turn selfishly inward and kind of take the... uh, the victim stance, I guess you should say, and or could say, and um, instead of being gracious to the people that were sitting against me, instead of doing what Jesus says, which is uh, bless those that curse you, I would be upset at them and would not give them grace. Um, or I might at first, but then I would eventually not be able to anymore because I was doing it out of my own flesh, my own abilities, instead of doing it through Christ. And um, in doing this, I ended up sinning because, well, on multiple levels. I mean, one, I wasn't giving them grace, which I was supposed to. Uh, I wasn't... Um, you know, going to him and asking him for help and using the grace he gives me to extend out, which is wrong. And I also wasn't being honoring to them. And because uh, usually at work, pretty much almost every job I've had, I've always been, I would say, at the bottom of the totem pole, which is perfectly fine. Um, I 
there was always people above me. I never really had anyone below me, I guess. Uh, and there would be people like on the same level as me, as you could probably say, but I usually viewed them as above me because usually all my coworkers had been there longer than I have and were more experienced in the areas than I was. So, uh, they were people I could go to for questions and everything. And I looked up to them. So therefore I kind of viewed them as on the ladder of authority, a little bit higher than me. And so, um, in that sense, if I, you know, any direction I did that wasn't doing what they had asked of me, um, was not honoring to them because the because God gives authority, He puts those above us, and uh, we're the Bible's full of examples of even when because everyone's human and we all sin, that even when the people placed in authority over us sin, they're still placed in authority over us. You know, God allowed them to be in authority over us. Um, and so that that doesn't give us a right to not honor them and not do what they're asking or to sin ourselves. In fact, um, it you know, it, it's a does the exact opposite. It's actually a test uh, on us to see if we will honor them and um, give them grace and go to him for that grace. And uh, I often did not do that. I would I would say the majority of the time I didn't do that. That's something that I didn't really learn till much later in life, probably more recently, I would say. And I've been trying to put into practice, but old habits die hard and renewing the mind takes time. Uh, but each time I catch it and go to him in repentance and accepting grace, it, it gets a little bit easier and those strongholds come down a little bit more and it, it's, uh, you know, that process of sanctification it's a process for a reason. Um, and here it gives us an example of a story of a money manager. And he says, I'm the chief executive of a money management firm. This means I lead the team that sets our investment strategies and possessions of our firm to achieve our investment goals. In my 20 years working in money management, I discovered that our firm's most important strategic planning it's not crunching numbers or assessing risk. It's not researching the markets or meeting with investors. It's none of these essential things. Like most organizations, regardless of industry, our most important strategy is hiring the right people. The success, the success of our firm lies in the hands of our people. That makes hundreds of decisions every day. If the sum total of their decisions is positive, we win. If it's negative, we lose. In this way, every person either helps our firm to prosper or drags us toward decline. This is why our hiring process is deliberate and relational. We want to hire people who are not only talented and eager to learn, 
but also people who can be trusted with both small and large tasks. When people join our team, we can treat them in one of three ways, as competitors, as slaves, or as partners. First, we can treat them as or as competitors, viewing their success as threatening. After all, their experience they gain will set them up to compete with us if they leave to start their own firm. Second, we can treat them as slaves. We can use their skills solely for our benefit instead of teaching and shepherding them. We can use them as interchangeable and replaceable resources. When they no longer profit to our financial bottom line, we let them go. Finally, we can treat them as partners, helping them to thrive. We can encourage knowledge share as we teach them the patterns and practices of success, not just as coworkers, but also as people. If they leave to start their own firms, we can work together to contribute to a more restorative investment community that benefits society as a whole. In our sinful natures, we're tempted to view our colleagues as competitors who threaten our success or as slaves who exist for our benefit. By grace through Christ, it is increasingly opening our eyes to see people as he does. Their work doesn't threaten us because in Christ our identity is settled. They don't exist for our purpose, but for his great and glorious plan. In the coming years, we hope to continue to hire people we can equip and entrust to work with them as partners. Then we hope to encourage them and go out into the world as paratrooper units in enemy-occupied territory, as C.S. Lewis puts it, combating the influences of darkness and displaying the restorative power of the gospel. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and go into prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for Jay and for him leading us with uh, this podcast. I thank you for the authors who took the time to put together the the, the lesson plans and, and the, the Bible and the um, the stories and the, the, the doctrines to kind of help make sense of how work and faith can go together. I thank you for the opportunities and the tests we get throughout our everyday lives at work of working and having relationships with other humans, um, a chance to see if we're going to follow you or not, um, a chance for us to see that, you know, the, the issue of sin is, is within us and it's disbelief and pride. And I ask Holy Spirit that you work in each of us to see that disbelief and pride and that um, it's like there's no blinders. It's it's like a just a, a big flashing sign in front of our faces that we, we can't ignore and that we have to address. And I ask that you gently remind us and nudge us to continue to renew our minds in your word and continue to seek you, Jesus, and accept your grace, your supernatural power to um, see people the way you see them, to love them the way you love them, and to just be your ambassadors here on earth uh, as we work. 
Help us to recognize when we're viewing people as uh, threats and competitors or as, you know, slaves, someone we can use. And help us to change that mindset, to see them as partners, to see them as fellow image bearers that you have a special plan for. And help everybody around us, each of those people, to recognize that they too are image bearers and that they too have a special plan that you you have for them, Father. And I ask that if we don't already know what those plans are for ourselves, that you help us learn them and help us trust you and, and moving forward in them. And also that when we see others and we see that Sometimes you can give us glimpses of what the plan is for other people um, to help us encourage them and help us help them achieve that dream and to benefit, you know, to serve them and benefit them so that they can go out there, as as C.S. Lewis said, as enemy paratroopers and units in enemy-occupied territory. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision. We just thank you for everything, Father. And we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And just as a fun thought, in Joshua 8 in this Bible, it talks about how AI is destroyed. Um, And I, I don't know about you, but whenever I see the word AI... I think of artificial intelligence. So kind of makes me wonder if God's given us, you know, kind of a, a forewarning for the future. Just a, just a fun thought for you to have for the weekend. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.